0: You're listening to the Infant Adoption Guide Podcast, episode number 18, How You Can Break Down the Financial Barriers to Adoption, an interview with Sherry Walrod of resourcesforadoption.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. My name is Tim Elder. I am an adoptive dad of two, and working on number three. And this is the podcast all about domestic infant adoption. And I welcome you to the show. This is where we give you the tips and resources and information to help you shorten the time it takes to adopt, decrease the cost, and hopefully make it less stressful for you to reach the dream of becoming parents. And today's episode is all about decreasing the cost and and really making it less stressful for you as well. First of all, I wanted to tell you about the four free adoption resources I have on InfantAdoptionGuide.com where you can, these four resources will help you save time, money, and stress and they're all um, available for you just for an instant download. All you have to do is go over to InfantAdoptionGuide.com forward slash welcome and it'll tell you exactly what you need to do to get those. All you need to do is enter your email address and uh, I will uh, send you to a page where you can instantly get those. Well, today's show is all about how to break down those financial barriers to adoption, give you hope, whether you've adopted once, whether you've adopted twice, three times, however many, and you feel like the hope is gone, that there's nothing left for you to do. Adoption's just too expensive. We've all been there. I've been there. We're in our third adoption. And uh, I mean, there's still that that sense of hope that gets dashed from time to time because you just realize how expensive everything is. And um, what we're going to do today is talk about how to break those down. Sherry Walrod is here today. She is the director, executive director, founder of com. That's the number four. And she's here to help us share the tips and resources and everything she has on her website uh, that will give you the hope you need to fund your adoption. So I'm excited to have this interview for you today. Let's just get right into talking with Sherry Walrod. Okay, everyone. On the show today, we are chatting with Sherry Walrod of Resources for Adoption. She is the founder and executive director of Resources for Adoption. She successfully completed three international adoptions for more than 10 years. She spent hundreds of hours really researching and finance, the financing options all around adoption, including grants, loans, and fundraisers. So she's been really in this uh, realm of adoption, which is one of the most important parts of adoption for all of us because we all, uh, at least most of us, struggle with how to finance an adoption, especially uh, what this show is all about, which is domestic infant adoption. So the costs can be really uh, expensive depending on the route you go. So we, we we want to welcome Sherry today to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. Welcome, Sherry.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to share with you today.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have you on because this is such a big deal, an important topic. Uh, we've touched on it uh, several times in the blog and on the podcast before. In fact, we've had um, our friend Julie Gum on before, I, which I know you've talked to her uh, on a Creating oh, yeah. a Family uh, podcast before, so you know, you're familiar with her and her book, uh, How to Adopt Without Debt. So,
1: yeah, that's pretty much recommended reading for all the <laughs> families we come in contact with.
0: Yeah, and she's revising the book, so I look forward to that when it comes out. Yeah. So, uh, I just wanted to first ask you why did you create and when did you create resources for com?
1: Well, it's a kind of a long story, so I'll try to shorten it up for you just a little bit. Uh, we begin thinking about adopting
0: shortly after
1: we got married and so throughout the time of having our own biological children we just the topic continued to come up but the biggest thing was at that time, that's been many years ago, was a price tag of anywhere from fifteen to eighteen thousand dollars and now it's it's twice that at least. But it just seemed like a gigantic brick wall and so we never really went down that road and pursued it until our youngest child was about five years old. And so in 2001, uh, it just sort of dawned on me one day, I wonder if there's adoption grants available to help families who need help paying for adoption. So I began an intensive research at that point, and that's basically what started the whole thing and kind of opened that door. I began to research uh, very in-depth and extensively for adoption grants. And I found actually quite a few of them at that point, and now there's even more, But I was surprised to find there were adoption grants, I guess is the point. And so we uh, brought our first child home in 2003, and I believe we uh, received um, about three different adoption grants for her adoption. And then our second adoption was in 2006, and then our third adoption was in 2008. And what I had noticed was, whenever between our first and second adoption, between 2003 and 2006, I began to notice a pattern in the adoption grants that I was researching. I began to notice a pattern in the criteria that was required, and I also began to notice a pattern of outdated and irrelevant information. If I found, um, say, ten adoption grants listed on somebody's website, either a blog or agencies a lot of times will have listings of adoption grants, I began to notice that there were some of them that I had found were no longer active when we started the process the first time, and now they're still listed, and it's three years later. And then in 2008, for our third adoption, that realization was exponentially multiplied. It just continued to hit me in the face. Here's the same list of grants. I've already researched these. I already know they're no longer in existence or there's something changed. The information is wrong some way, and it was really a headache and real frustrating, so I began to develop a spreadsheet for myself, and at that time, it was specific to international adoption since that's what we were pursuing. And about a year later, I began to expand it and send it to that spreadsheet, and begin to expand it and send it to other adoptive families, specifically to the ones that were using the same adoption agency that we were using. I thought this information would be helpful to families. Not only will they not have to research and find all of this, but I've already checked these out, and this was a dead grant source five years ago, or three years ago, or two years ago, whatever the case is, and it's still out there. And it's a big waste of time. It's a big headache. It's just frustrating and aggravating. And my thought at the time during our second adoption was, wow, it sure would be nice if somebody would have a database of all these adoption grants and loans, but specifically grants that would keep track of them and could update them regularly so the rest of us didn't have to continue, everybody, run down the same dead-end road. Why are all these hundreds of or thousands of adoptive families doing the same thing I'm doing, and why can't we share the information? Why can't it be some central place, central hub, where all the information is collected and stored, and then everybody can benefit from it? And then it ends up being me that's doing that, because nobody else was doing it. That's kind of the the short version of that. So once I had established and created my own spreadsheet of adoption grants for international adoption, then I began to expand that into domestic adoption grants, and grants that weren't specific for either one that would work for either international or domestic. There's probably slightly fewer for domestic because some of the older grant grants that are out there are more specific to international adoption. But there still is a very good amount available for domestic adoption and for today's purposes that's what people need to know But you have to be careful when you apply to them to make sure that they will accept families adopting domestically. And that's part of what we help families do is sort that out and figure out which ones are the ones that will be best for me to apply to. If you're adopting domestically, then it's a waste of your time and the organization's time to apply to the ones that only accept international adoption families.
0: Understood, yeah. So so your adoptions, when you were going through yours, did they cost more or less than you expected?
1: Oh, it's always more yeah. than you,
0: <laughs> uh, you know. Right? <laughs> it would
1: be great if it wasn't. But sure. I believe our first one that we completed in two thousand and three, I believe it was around eighteen five, which that's unheard of now. And then the second one was around twenty six five, twenty six thousand five hundred, and the third one was about thirty thousand, maybe thirty one thousand. So, just from yeah. 2003 to 2008, that window of time, the first one and the last one were both Korean adoptions, and so you could tell the jump was pretty a pretty significant jump from one end to the other, yeah. just in a few short years.
0: Yeah, no, so. domestic adoption also has gone up, and and do you think that's why a lot of families either quit or quit trying or never even start adoption adopting is because I, of that huge cost? I
1: absolutely, yeah it is that is my belief is and that comes from talking to hundreds of families over the, the years is many many people see that as the biggest barrier and there's so much misunderstanding about that they will hear on the news or they will read and they will hear you know adoption is you know $30,000 or $40,000 or 20 they'll hear that and they just see big dollar signs in their head and they just think, you know what, I don't have that kind of money, so I guess it's, just, it's a no-go. And what many people don't understand is that it comes in phases. You have to pay for, yes, that's the total cost over the course of so many months and so many years, but you do not have to write a $30,000 check today. That's That's not how it works. You have to first get a home study done and that's, roughly, you know, $2,500 just to throw a number out there. It's more or less depending on where you live. So the first thing I try to do is, you know, help people kind of look at that over the course of months and sometimes years because domestic adoption can be all over the place. International can be a little bit more predictable in timeline, but, again, not depending on what the countries decide to do or not. But usually you have some time in there and you have time to – you know get yourself together and and pay for the home study. And then you have months in there before your next installment is due to maybe do some more fundraisers or save money or cut back and budget. Or you know it may is such a thing as that we want to begin a domestic adoption process in two years. So in two years, let's see what we can do today to get you to that point in two years. So you can't look at that as it, it's, I think so overwhelming. Again, to us, just the visual of it was a huge brick wall and just staring at it with dollar signs all over it, and there's just no way. And what I try to get people to understand is let's take those bricks one at a time, you know, kind of chisel a brick out, say this is the home study brick that's $2,500 or 1500 whatever it is, and take those bricks one at a time and lay them down on the ground and now that let that be the path to your child rather than a a huge barrier, take them down one at a time and build a road, build a bridge with those same bricks to your child. And it just takes hope. People need to know. You know without hope, I think all is lost, uh, whether or not you come from a l- religious background or not. Hope is one of the key components is if people can see there is hope, there is a way to pay for it. Hundreds of thousands of other families have done it. And many, I think some statistics that just came out recently is most people adopting are in the very, very middle class. Um, They're not people making six-figure incomes. They're just average people, and so they don't make a ton of money and don't have that kind of money sitting around. But the hope is what I hope to convey is there is a way to do it, and there are people that can help you do it. There are programs and plans and it may take a while but we can get there. We can help you get there and we can point you in the right direction. There is hope and it can be done.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. The last uh, podcast was with Nicole Witt from the Adoption Consultancy and she has, you know, talks to people all the time about giving them hope about not just how to pay for it but how to get through the process and uh, but paying for it is a huge deal right? It shuts people down. So to give them hope that there is uh, a way to do it and Many, many, many other families have done it before you, so you just need to find the right information. So I'm glad your website exists for that because I think it definitely helps people give them hope in that direction.
1: And I think one other thing is, anytime you bring up the issue of money or finances, that instantly becomes a taboo subject with many people. Yes. So, and I read comments on blogs and read blogs and you know so, some of the comments are if you can't afford to adopt then why should you worry about it you know then you shouldn't ask other people to help you so many people feel funny and feel uncomfortable asking for help but i just had a conversation earlier today with someone about fundraising and there are ways to do fundraising things very tactfully and without coming across as begging for money you know if you do a fun fundraiser and it's fun for everybody and entertainment then hopefully you'll get a lot more support than, you know, bringing out, um, you know, playing the poor me card. I think you go further that way, but still, it, it can be done, and I, I hope that uh, people can understand that and not get wrapped up in the fact that it's, we talk about money. Because that turns some people off instantly. Is can't go there.
0: Absolutely. So, in your opinion, the 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 multiple ways you can fund your adoption are, adoption grants, you can do adoption loans, you can do fundraisers. What else is there?
1: One of the things that I know Julie mentions in her book is there's so many ways to cut your budget, and that's another dirty word for many people is cut the budget. Most people think that they're already cut to the bone. And some people are. Some people truly are. But there are ways to trim that. Some people budget for a vacation and if you budget for a vacation, that's one way to maybe for a year or so to delay the vacation. Um, there's, you know, cutting the budget is one way. Fundraisers, and many people, uh, fundraisers also can be kind of a dirty word depending on what what frame of mind you're in. I know we live in a small community, and everybody's always fundraising for something all the time, particularly mm-hmm. schools. True. or all the, Yeah, and people are so fundraised out. They just, you know, get sick and tired of hearing about that. But again, there are ways to do it and things that will actually help other people when you do fundraisers that don't have to make it horrible and dreadful for everybody else in the community. But, um, yeah, and grants and one thing to point out about the grants is that most adoption grants, you cannot apply for them until after you have a completed home study. And particularly with uh, domestic adoption, There are many of them that you need to wait until you're kind of a little further down the road in the process, meaning you need to wait. Uh, Some some organizations have told me it's irritating for them that the ink is still drying on the home study when they apply. So once your home study is done, most grant organizations are going to want to see that you are working and trying to fund this adoption, whether or not you get a grant or not, you're determined to make it happen, and you will do what it takes in order to either earn the money or do a fundraiser or borrow the money. And not that you have to wait until your last nickel is gone, but they want to see that you have some skin in the game. So the instant the home study is done is generally not the time to apply for a grant unless you come into a situation where you, you know the domestic adoption is going to take place really quick if it's if there's a child waiting and there's a situation and you need to turn everything around really quickly, then by all means you need to apply but if you know there's some time down the road, say if a birth mother has chosen your file and you still have six months or eight months before she delivers, then you, you probably would be helpful to go ahead and work and try to and figure out how to pay for it in the interim and then apply closer to the end of the process. And um, that, that should be helpful. So the, the main thing is you have to wait till your home study's done before and they're going to want to see that you've done things yourself to try to pay for it as well.
0: Understood. What, uh, a couple questions about grants. For one, how many grants are you talking about that are out there? And two, what kind of money do they usually give to people?
1: Right. Okay. Um, the database that we have right now has about 90 different grants and loan sources in there. And I say sources because part of those, there is a list of about 20 of those that are dead and outdated sources. We go ahead and list those and show you which ones they are so that if you see that name, you don't run down that road looking for that grant in hopes that it means something and then it turns out to be a dead source. We've already vetted that. So... Out of all of those ninety sources, usually there's about I would say sixty that are currently active there is a list that are completely you know dead they don't do grants anymore, but there are some that go on hold so they may fundraise six months of the year and then they offer a grant the other six months of the year or or however and sometimes they have to fundraise for an entire year so they go on hold so that's my best guess is between fifty and sixty different sources that are active most of the time but that will uh, come down some for domestic adoption because not all of those will be for domestic adoption and I don't have a list in front of me right now to tell you exactly which ones would uh, be for domestic adoption but range, uh, range in grants, most of them range I would say between the two dollars and $5,000 range that seems to be very typical and some are some are less, some are more, but that's probably the average amount is around two to five. And so when you're looking at your overall financial plan, out of $30,000, 5000 will help, but obviously you're going to have to figure out something else um, to fill in that gap. But you can apply for more than one grant at a time as well, and depending on your situation, people can get more than one grant. We, we did with ours, and it, again, it kind of depends on your situation. But that's where the loans may have to come in, is you may have to get a loan in the interim to kind of fill in the gap, but then when you get your tax credits, when the adoption is completed, that a lot of times people use the adoption tax credit to help pay back the loan. That's that's another topic, probably for another time. How the adoption tax credit works.
0: Yes, I was going to so say there was one more uh, aspect of one more way to pay for your adoption. Maybe not up front, yeah. but we've adopted twice and we've used it, and uh, yeah, I mean that's twelve. I think it's almost around thirteen thousand dollars this year
1: now. Yeah, and yeah. each year it changes a little bit. But I believe this year it was thirteen, and a few years ago they actually made it refundable. And that's the move now is for adoptive families to contact your congressman and say, please support the adoption tax credit. You know, number one, make it permanent, which it currently is in current legislation. But, of course, we know that can change at the drop of a hat, depending on who's in office, uh, you know, in the legislature. But the other thing is to make it refundable. Uh, What I mentioned earlier is most people adopting are middle class, and so sometimes they can't always take advantage of the full um, credit because it, it reduces the ima- their amount of their tax liability. But if it's refundable, they would get all of that money back to help pay back loans or whatever. If it's just a credit, then it reduces the amount of their that they would owe on their tax. But if they don't owe that much, then they might not get to take advantage of the full credit.
0: And you can carry it um, over year to year, so but it might pretty, take you five okay, years and you to get
1: can it. Carry it over. Yes.
0: Yep.
1: Um, is it six years now? I um, I don't remember. It's five or six years that you can carry it over. So what you don't use this year, you can use next year, and that has helped us a ton. And there again, if we had to count it all in one year, there's no way that we would have been able to have you know carried it over. What we did with ours was we reduced our withholdings on our on our regular you know monthly reductions in our tax um, taxes that were withheld out of our paychecks we reduce the amount that was paid out there and then use that, say if we reduced it by $100, then use that $100 that we weren't paying in on taxes to pay back a loan because we knew the tax credit would take care of it on the back end. And that can get very complicated. So please check with the tax professional before you do any of that to make sure that you're not going to end up on the short end of the stick. But yes, the adoption tax credit is is huge and helps a lot of people. And I would say to your listeners today, if you're interested in domestic adoption, it is still a good idea to go ahead and advocate for the adoption tax credit and advocate for it to become refundable and not just the credit. It will help everyone um, that is adopting now and in the future.
0: Yeah, if you want to learn how to do that, I'll put the link in the show notes on uh, how yeah. you can yeah. contact your your congressman and senator. Um, getting back to loans, uh, Does your database also list the um, number of organizations that provide loans, or is that just a limited number?
1: Yeah, and that is a a much more limited number, Mm -hmm. Um, and what I encourage people to do, there are um, most of the uh, loan organizations are geared toward Christian families, so if you do not fall in that category, you're going to have fewer options for loans. Uh, My concern with loans is, since there are very few true adoption loan programs, that people, you know, when they go do an Internet search for adoption loans, all kinds of stuff comes up. And there are some things out there that I would consider to be very dangerous and predatory lending practices. I've written several articles on that, and those you can find on the website. And I would encourage you to, to go to our website and read about that. Because when people are desperate for money and there is a way for someone else to possibly scam them, that, uh, that is always out there and a concern of mine. So my cautionary tale is please do not be so desperate for funds for an adoption that you are willing to put yourself out there and become part of a loan operation that may be not very um, credible and you know, with really, really high interest rates. And that actually was happening back before two thousand nine. You know, credit card companies and different people would say this, yeah, you can use it for personal loans. So call them personal loans and then someone would say adoption loans. And the interest rates on those were astronomical and they were really, really taking advantage of people terribly. And so um, America's Christian Credit Union started their adoption loan program to help stamp out that predatory lending. And I don't see as much of that out there anymore, but it still exists. It still is out there, and I have concerns about that because families are already very emotionally vulnerable, and when you get into a situation like that that you're trying to fund the adoption, the emotions begin to flow, and what you might not otherwise fall for on a normal day, because emotions are involved, sometimes better judgment goes out the window whenever people become, you know, very desperate for for funding. So that's another thing. If people have questions or concerns, there's information on the website. You can email me, and I can try to help point you in the direction of the good options for loans. And um, a couple of those are one option that I recommend is if you do business with your local hometown bank that is not part of a big system or branch, and that's one area that I would go and visit with a loan officer and ask them if there's any way you can um, you know, give a loan for your adoption expenses and most likely you're going to need some form of collateral. But if you know the people and they know you and you're part of that community, sometimes they can help you and help you evaluate, do you have equity in your home, that we can do a home equity loan, do you have equity in your cars or maybe land someone owns, Um, in order to do that. There are ways to do that and savings and loans is another one. So credit unions, savings and loans and just your hometown bank are ways that people have done that and I would much rather see people go with that option. I'm not comfortable with someone filling out a form online and hitting submit and you do not have a clue where that's going, where that information is being shared or spread and um with identity theft being a concern that concerns me greatly i would not recommend that at all i would rather sit across the table from someone and fill out an application and have that information about my you know my finances and my social security number sitting on their desk and in their hands rather than floating all over the internet and going who knows where.
0: Absolutely, I agree. Would you recommend going that route as well rather than going and doing like a 401k loan or borrowing through your credit card?
1: I would stay away from borrowing from the credit card at for at all possible. And I'll address 401k here in a minute. But the credit card deal um, really annoys me because while it seems like a great option on the front end and we actually did use some of that, On ours, and the reason I would caution against that is because they can change the rules of the game later down the road. Since it's their money and their game, they can change the rules. And I'm not sure how that's legal that they can do that. But say, uh, you know, if you get a cash advance or whatever and, you know, it's 7.99%, well, that's not too bad for so many months or whatever. But what happened to us was that they ended up changing the interest rate midway through the term because they decided to, oh, and wow. so it went from a 7.99% up to like a 13.99%, and we called and asked why, and the really the only good explanation was the fact that they just felt like that they could do that, and since, you know, wow. <laughs> they're the money lender, they can change the rules, and so... Right. If at all possible, I would stay away from that. The uh, the exception to credit cards is if you are traveling and you need to put airline tickets on a credit card, that's a little bit of a different story. Uh, the cash advances, I would avoid like the plague. If you have to put some expenses on there for travel that are just on a regular interest rate for purchases, that doesn't typically change as much, but still can. They, uh, to me, that's a, a terrible way to do business. But anyway... Um, the 401Ks um, is another option for people. And I would say that depends on your situation. It depends on how old you are. If you are already um, into your 50s and you're wanting to borrow from your 401K, it depends on how much is in there versus if you're 25 and borrowing from it. The point being, how much time do you have left, supposedly, to work and contribute back and pay it back um, you know, but that is an option, however, there again, you need to double check with your financial advisor and a tax expert because some of those you will be taxed on that. If you withdraw five thousand dollars out of a 401k depending on what it is, many times you can get taxed on that amount, so you really need to borrow six thousand so that you can pay the taxes on part of it and then use the rest for the adoption expenses um. So that's that's also very cautionary. It is an option and people have done that and it has worked well for them. But there again, I would double check with, you know, some financial experts to make sure that's the best option for you at that time.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I I would never advocate anybody to borrow money, but if there was ever a case to borrow money, this would be it. But uh, right. absolutely, if you're going to borrow money and you know you're going to have to borrow money, then you might as well do your homework and figure out the best way that it affects you in the yes, long run, enough. not just the short and
1: run. If you're technically borrowing it from yourself, right? I guess, then um, that's much better than some of these other things out there that seem too good to be true. The old adage is if they seem to be too good to be true, it probably is. So, uh, yeah, 401K, and the way we felt about it, we did um, do some of that borrowed from what we called, in our case, it's a a tax-sheltered annuity, so it really is borrowing money from ourselves, but we felt strongly enough that we may never even live to see retirement, so um, not that there's anybody critically ill or anything, it's just the fact that we felt it's important enough to build our family through adoption right now and to give a child a home and to do that right now and not be focused on as much on the retirement aspect of it because of what the situation was going on, you know, within our home at that point.
0: Absolutely. Well, before we go, I want to make sure we talk more about the – resources that are available that you're all right maybe I should say services that are available on resourcesforadoption.com uh, the website is resources the number 4 adoption.com and you have specifically i'm looking at the adoption finance toolkit which is that is your searchable database of grants and loans correct
1: correct yes we decided when we originally went that route to put a kit together to help as many families as possible. So instead of having different forms scattered throughout the place and plus the database, it's all in, in sort of one component, which is the toolkit. So with the toolkit subscription, uh, you can choose between a three-month, six-month, or a one-year toolkit subscription. And the three-month obviously is the most popular one. But um, in that there's many budgeting forms and tracking forms you know in other words if you, which grants you're applying for and the results and the times that we applied and things like that there's the point is to try to help you control the paperwork rather than the paperwork controlling you again this is one of the things I wish I would have had when I adopted was someone to show me these are the list of forms that you're going to need these are the list of of um, paperwork items that you're going to need to find, and so we provide that list for you so that you can go through and get your checklist. Once you start beginning to fill out adoption grant applications, you're going to need all of this information. So we try to help you on the front end to get organized and to gather everything that you need. If you need to get your tax records from the last three years, it's better to do that in one, one step rather than having to go chase those down three different days in a week. So we try to help you get organized and and keep track of all that paperwork in one place, as well as the searchable database of grants and loans.
0: Yeah, you put the sample booklet on there, which I recommend everybody go into. I'll put a link in the show notes to it. But the sample booklet really tells the story of what you're going to get with the database, the worksheets, the charts, uh, the forms you need, um, where to go, what what these will look like. Uh, It's really comprehensive. And I, I think it's a great thing that everybody should get on there and look at and do. And how much is this? I mean, I know this, I'm putting a little time stamp on this because you could be listening to this podcast uh, one or two or three years from now. But as of today, in April of 2014, what is the cost of this adoption finance toolkit?
1: The, the adoption finance toolkit currently is 29.95 for a three-month subscription, and that is like I said the most popular one. Um, in addition to that, I also have a grant writing class that I've done that's online and that is available. That goes into a lot of the in-depth detail of how to write an adoption grant, how to tell your story and sort out what's important to you versus what's not important to the um, adoption grant committee members that are going to be reading your application. I want to make sure people understand how to do that. Um, One thing that's important to note about the toolkit is that, yes, those forms, you will need to know what those look like, because when you start filling out the applications, it becomes very, very overwhelming. And so to know ahead of time what you're facing is very helpful. One of the families told me that this is the Advil for the adoption grant
0: headache. (laughs) Understood. Uh, But it's a headache that you kind of want to take on, too. I mean, it's free money, so why wouldn't you spend the time to figure out how to do it.
1: Yes, it is worth your time. Most of the time, um, I tell people it's, you know, it's worth their time to do it.
0: So. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you. You're coming on the show today and all the information on resources for adoption is, is awesome. You have free resources on there, not just, uh, ways to to get the additional help here but i recommend anybody getting on there getting that database and all the the goodies that come in that adoption finance toolkit we'll put all these links in the show notes so you don't have to remember how to get there you just go to infantadoptionguide.com forward slash 18 and you can get all these links and uh, sherry i really appreciate you coming on anything else you want to add or uh, tell the folks about before we sign off
1: well, I just appreciate the opportunity to share this. This is, you know, my heart is for orphans and adoption, and this is the way I can make my contribution to help other families. I can't adopt hundreds more children, but if I can help other families figure out how to pay for it and give them the hope and help that they need, that is very gratifying and and fulfilling, and I'm happy to do it. And so, you know, please be sure and contact me if you have any other questions, because I'm happy to help any way that I can.
0: Very good. Clearly, you're in your element here with uh, having this website. So, really appreciate you coming on the show today, Sherry. I appreciate
1: it. Thank you very much. Thank
0: you. All right, that was a great interview with Sherry Walrod of Resources for Adoption. I really appreciate her coming on and and spending so much time helping us. Uh, she's clearly in her element. If, like I said before, if she she's so passionate about helping others because she's been through it herself and trying to find out a way to finance your adoption. So um, I have all the links that we talked about in the show notes at infantadoptionguide.com forward slash 18, that's one eight. Go there and everything we talked about will be there. So you don't have to remember any of these links that we talked about during the show. Um, But you can contact Sherry on her website. Uh, She has an about link uh, at the top of the page on resourcesforadoption.com. There's an about tab that you can click on that and you can easily email her there and she can help you get started. But, uh, she's got re- free resources. She's got her toolkit that we talked about. Go visit her sponsors page. She has uh, she helps out families that work with her sponsors. So be sure to check those sponsors out as well. Um, also would you help me get this podcast into the ears of more adaptive families just like you? If you go on iTunes and leave an, a review for this show, What it does is uh, cues iTunes into making it more prevalent for people to find adoption uh, radio shows. So go to infantadoptionguide.com forward slash iTunes and I'll put this link in the show notes as well. But it's easy to go there and leave a review. I really would appreciate it if you just take a minute or two to go do that. Uh, I'd appreciate that. So I want to wrap this episode up with a question. And it's all about really how you Fund your adoption? What is the best way that you found? Have you gotten in, into the grants and loans and adoption tax credit? All those things. If you would go and leave a comment on infantadoptionguide.com forward slash 18, which is this episode, you can leave a comment there and tell us what you think and join the conversation. Until then, until the next episode, I'm keeping you in my prayers and that your next adoption will happen very soon. God bless.